Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. Ron said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foam pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornborough, and glad you're joining me again today. And, you know, today we got one that may not seem like the perfect timing, but it was a question that came in from a listener, and I think it's a, I think it's a, a relevant question and something you may want to be thinking about right now. This is episode 103, and we're going to talk about preparing a chicken coop for a cold winter. A listener wrote in, and he's got a great question about this, and you may be thinking, it's just not the right time. It was, you know, I, mean, I look think about my place today, and it was in the mid-80s, and, uh, you know, it, it, but I'm telling you, this is the time you want to be thinking about it. You don't want to wait till the snow's flying to start setting your chicken coop up for a cold winter, and um, I really want to talk about mainly ventilation in a chicken coop today, and I think this is often an underestimated feature in a coop. But it's uh, it's real important both summer and winter. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we jump into that, let's uh, look at a few homestead updates around my place this week. Um, we're starting to get a lot of tomatoes now. I've been telling you, I've been kind of slow coming on, and and uh, boy, just last night I picked up a big old uh, basket of them. So uh, we're really getting a lot of tomatoes now, which means we started making a lot of salsa, and um, I'm putting a bunch in the freezer for uh, the other tomato products we'll be making, like tomato juice and uh, spaghetti sauce, and just all kinds of uh, good stuff like that. And still picking a lot of uh, beans and cucumbers as well. I cannot believe the cucumbers this year. They're just, they're coming on so strong. We're just getting baskets full of them every day. It's unbelievable uh, having a great cucumber year. Um, all the fall crops are, are popped up. The ones I planted a couple weeks ago, they're all doing real good. They're on their way to providing us some some late season goodies there. And um, uh, beginning to do quite a bit of seed saving from my uh, heirloom vegetables. Uh, some of the cucumbers, I've went ahead and just let them go. Yeah, you know, to seed, you know, they get big and yellow. You always miss a couple, two or three. And when they start turning that way, I just go ahead and leave them alone and I let them go all the way so I can get the uh, seeds from them. Uh, lettuce, the romaine, especially getting a lot of seeds from those. Uh, but yeah, that's probably what we eat the most of around here. Um, letting a bunch of the beans go ahead and dry on the on the vines and, and getting the seeds from those. And uh, of course, the peas and, and a lot of other stuff have already dried. So we're getting a lot of a lot of our seeds right now. So um, and I, I, I actually uh, organized a bunch of my seeds the other day. I got file box uh, system that I use. 
And it's a great way to do it. And I, I posted that on Instagram the other day, and uh, I seen another great way to organize uh, seeds using photo boxes. And thanks, Elizabeth, for sharing that idea with me. She would got it from someone else, and then she sent me a picture of it, and it was really cool. Uh, great way to organize your seeds. So just some great ways out there. A lot of people are doing it different and um, and sometimes better. And I always appreciate seeing that. But I love I love sitting around and I taking my seeds and packaging them up and organizing and putting them up and just thinking about even next year already. I, I love it. So uh, yeah, great stuff there. But yeah, it's been pretty busy around here. I mean, this is a busy time of the year with the harvest and the prepping and the preparing and the preserving and you know just a lot of things you 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 start doing. And like I said, it's 80-something degrees outside, and you don't think about winter too much, but this is when you want to start thinking about winter, which leads us to our question for today's podcast episode. This came in from Michael. Michael asks, my questions are about wintering chickens. We live in south-central Alaska, north of Anchorage. We just converted an 8x11 shed with a lean-to style roof into a chicken coop. We also have another 8x12 shed with a gable-style roof that we'll be converting into a coop for our turkeys. Both buildings have wooden floors. We will be insulating both coops before winter, and I am thinking of using the pink stuff with plywood as the wall covering. But my main question is about the ventilation for the coops in the winter. How much ventilation do they need? Where should the ventilation be? High, low, one side, all or all sides. Our winter temps... and in the winter can get down to minus 20 to minus 30 is a dry cold and we do get some wind but not a lot one of my thoughts for ventilation was to use round vents like you find in an older rv that's a great question michael so let's just jump right into it uh first you talked about insulating these cubes very important even with ventilation and i'll talk about the difference in a minute even though you're going to have some some pretty big openings a lot of uh airflow in your coop to uh to get rid of you know three main things the ventilation allows the release of moisture ammonia and heat uh in in the summer of course so you need the ventilation in the summer but yeah mostly in the winter it's ammonia and moisture you're trying to get rid of so ventilation is really important in the winter why okay because obviously it's cold in there and you're insulating your coop so why do you want an airflow uh through the coop well and we'll talk a minute in a minute about the difference between ventilation and a draft. So it's two different kinds of airflow, but one is good, one's not. So, but you're really mainly trying to get rid of the moisture. And why is that? Well, because these chickens are doing a lot of breathing, right? And it's putting off a lot of hot air. Well, you combine this hot air with the cold air and it produces a moisture. Now you have a, a drier uh, environment there, uh, you said, so that that's that's good in in some aspects because it won't build up as much moisture. But uh, again, this can build up a lot of moisture. This moisture will then get on their combs and and, and things like that on the chickens. You get on the chickens, and it'll actually cause frostbite. It causes on their feet, on their combs, and 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 things like that. So uh, they can get frostbite, and it's not from the cold as much as from the moisture. Uh, they get wet, then they freeze. Um, chickens can withstand some pretty serious cold weather if they're dry, and that's the important thing. They need a good, uh, they need to have good ventilation to remove the dampness and the humidity from the coop. Because again, it's a it's it's a large amount of water vapor, 
that they're breathing out and it's going to um, it's going to make a, a high humidity in that coop if they don't have good ventilation. But also, I, I mentioned the the ammonia fumes from the coop. If you've ever been in a closed up building with a few chickens, um, it's strong. You got to have good ventilation uh, to get rid of that, or you're going to have some respiratory issues and things like that. Uh, so you're with your chickens. So you want to definitely have it for that. And, and of course you're going to want this ventilation for the summer. Um, you're basically just getting started with your coops, but you know, next summer it's, you know, it's going to be seventies, eighties. I mean, you're going to want some good ventilation, let some airflow through there. It's good for your chickens. They're going to need to stay cool. Okay. So it's going to be all around good to have, to have ventilation. There's a lot of different kinds of ventilation, you're asking about what kinds, but let's first just jump into that insulation thing. So you're talking about using that pink stuff with plywood, that pink insulation. That's going to be good. They got a blue, they got a pink, like the pinks for the colder with plywood. So you're going to put the, the, the insulation on, put the plywood on the inside of that. You definitely got to cover that because the the chickens would pick that apart and uh, you know pack it up and it wouldn't be good for them but you're going to cover it it's going to be a great insulation so you're going to have any kind of drafts or anything like that coming through the walls it's going to be insulated it's still really important uh with those kind of temperatures you're talking about minus 20 to minus 30 even with good ventilation a lot of airflow through that coop because you know you just don't want that air coming in anywhere so yeah definitely worth insulating uh, and i think what you're going to do there is just fine that'll work out just great like i said chickens can handle a lot of cold uh, they really can it's just that um, they can't handle the moisture and being cold and they don't want the wind directly on them either so that that insulation will definitely help with that let's talk about the difference between ventilation and having a draft having a draft is air that's blowing right on them um, you don't want that you want the air to flow below and above them so that's real important as to where you put the uh, the ventilation at it sounds like you're really wondering about where to put this uh, you're definitely going to want the out on the high for sure now you'll definitely want in on the high as well but if you can get a vent at ground level that won't blow directly on them or at floor level that won't blow directly on them also now this can be a smaller vent um, it helps with creating a little bit of a vortex in there that will help push the air uh, out through the top vent but you definitely want one on the tops of your coop. Now, we're out on the top. Well, most people have a prevailing west wind coming from the west. So you'll, you'll want to vent on the west end of the coop to where the wind's flowing in at the top and going out the east if you have a west wind. Now, wherever your prevailing winds are coming in at, you want to have a vent there and on the opposite end of the coop so you get this flow through the coop. Again, the, I'll put a diagram uh, that I ran across in the uh, show notes. Just go down to the uh, the recommendations. There'll be a little illustration there that shows about how to properly set up a ventilation for a coop. And you want a little bit of a, a, a turnaround in that coop. It kind of picks up and pushes out because your hot air is going to rise. So you definitely want your out high up, all the way as high up as you can get it. If you have a, a gable roof, you'll want it right in that peak. Um, you say the one is a lean-to. Uh, depending on you know which end is... Um, it's coming from your prevailing winds. Now, like I have a lean-to for my rabbit pen. Still, any kind of animal pen, this is real important to have ventilation. What I have is I have it on both ends. Uh, I have the, the lean-to comes down, but on both ends of that lean-to, uh, where it's at the, the peak is, um, I have a completely opened-up chicken-wired uh, top there You know, with several you know s square inches of ventilation, and the air is flowing through it. 
Um, so I get a good airflow through my lean to. Now you may be in a setup where this isn't ideal and you might have to go the other way. If you do, you do. That's, that's understandable. But uh, ideally you want the, the wind to come in from one end and go out the other end, uh, directly as possible. But you definitely want your ventilation. You definitely have to have good ventilation at the top to push the air out, the hotter air out through the top. This stuff's going to rise up. The moisture from their breath is going to rise up and it's going to go pushing out the other end of the coop. Um, so high up. How much ventilation do you need, though? This is the one people get wrong, and this is the most important one because you'll be surprised. It takes a lot of ventilation. It really does to get a good amount of uh, release from your coop. And this is important for the winter, like I said, because your chickens need to get rid of that stuff. That, that air's got to get out of there. That hot air's got to get out. The moisture's got to get out. Um, this is going to sound like a lot, but you want about one square foot of vent opening per chicken on the high side, one square foot of vent opening per 10 square feet of floor area on the low end. Now, that's like I said, well, that's a conservative one right there. You really want closer to one square foot of vent opening per chicken. That's not possible in some cases because you might have a lot of chickens in there. I mean, to have, say you have 20 chickens, I mean, 20 square feet of vent opening, that's a lot, but they're putting off a lot of breath. Okay. And it's creating a lot of, uh, of moisture and a lot of, uh, heat, um, a lot of ammonia as well. Minimum one square foot of vent opening per 10 square feet of floor area. So let's see, you got an eight by 12 shed. It's 96 square feet of floor area. So you're going to want at least nine and a half feet of vent. That's a lot of vent even on that uh, conservative end. So understandably that's a lot you know so a lot of people think you can just drill a few holes at the ends of the gable and that's enough it's just not enough you're gonna have to have a couple feet you know uh, here and there you know in a couple different places on each end of that coop square feet to even come close to what you need so it takes a lot like i said you could open that up completely with almost like a window size vents on each end you could go with an entire roof vent all down the the, the crown of that roof uh, they make those uh, roof vents you open up the entire center of the roof and you have one that goes the entire length of that chicken coop there's a few ways you can do it but you can't just stick a little uh, small square like camper rv uh, vent on that coop and it'd be enough now they got the wind turbine type vents that will pull out a lot more they'll spin they create like a vortex which will pull it out but you still have to have some incoming uh, wind uh, coming in from one end there to, to push out through that, which will pull it out. But in the end, what I'm saying is it takes a lot more than what you're probably thinking. So definitely want to probably cut like some some large window size, especially on that gable roof, some large window size uh, vents uh, in that. Cover them with, uh, with some, some hardware cloth. Uh, or something like that, something heavy duty. A chicken wire will do, but you know, a raccoon, a possum can tear through chicken wire. So if there's a way for them to get to that, uh, you might want to put something a little heavier duty and make sure it's really good and secure to where they can't rip that open. But yeah, you're going to definitely want to make some big openings <laughs> and, and, or, or a lot of smaller openings because it takes a lot. If you're saying by a, a one by one opening, you know, you, where you got one square feet, you'd have to have like nine or 10 of those on the, on the low end to do that. Uh, like I said, a couple feet, two and a half feet, you know, like four of those, you know, a two, two and a half feet, uh, openings, a square openings on each end of that coop. 
you know, that would be more realistic to what you might need for ventilation of a coop that size. So again, it's a lot of ventilation. It seems like a lot, but you're going to be surprised at just how much um, you're going to need to uh, really get the the fumes out, really get the the uh, heavy breathing that's going on in there out. It's going to help prevent respiratory issues, and it's going to make it a lot healthier environment for them. It really is, and they're not going to get frostbite. That's the most important thing. Now, I would say in your environment, um, you're in Alaska, like you said, it's a dry cold. That helps. That does help a lot. Uh, where I'm at, it'd be more of a wet cold. So. Uh, definitely the ventilation would even be more important in your environment. I don't know if it's quite as important as it would be here. Like I said, because you know, it's a dry cold. It may be the issue that you won't have as much moisture in that coop. I don't know though. You're still, you got this combination of heat and, um, and cold. I mean, if you've ever jumped in a vehicle, you know, when it's cold outside, you start to heat and what happens, you get like this, uh, condensation that starts creating on the inside of your, of your windshield. That's what's happening in the coop. They're breathing. It's hot air. It's cold in there. It's creating condensation. It's landing on them. Then they're getting frostbite because it's minus 30 outside. So still, it's an issue because they're creating the moisture. Even though the, the cold is a dry cold, they're creating the moisture with their breath. So still, big issue. You definitely want to have a lot of ventilation. You can look around on the internet and get some of these statistics in other places. It's not just me saying this. I mean, I got it from other people who build coops. This is important. You're going to have to have some good ventilation. And like I said, it's more than what most people think about. It's kind of inconvenient for a building structure to have that much. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking... Wow, that's what's the point in even insulating a coop if I'm going to have that kind of airflow through it? Well, you're creating a ventilation, not a draft. Like I said, the airflow is above them or below them. You do not want it. If there's a roost in there and they're sitting on that, you do not want the air hitting them on that roost. That's where they're going to be spending most of their time. And uh, you just don't want the air hitting them directly. Uh, it has to be going under them or over the top of them, creating this ventilation. Like I said, I'll put a, I'll put this illustration uh, in the uh, the show notes, the, in the recommendation section of the show notes. that will really help you see what I'm talking about as far as where to put it and how the air flows through. And you want the good a good wind flow through the coop above the chickens mostly is what you want. Again, types of vents you can install. You can go with those camper ones, but you're going to have to put a lot of those in the roof. I mean, a lot of them. Uh, ridge vents all the way down the ends. You put the openings at the ends of the gable roof or, or even the lean-to like I've done. Um, but they're going to have to be big. I do want to mention using supplemental heat sources, though. Many a many a chicken coop have been burnt down this way. Chickens can handle a lot of cold. It's the moisture slash cold together they can't handle. Um, you don't probably need to heat your chicken coop. A lot of people use heat lamps. A lot of people are using small heaters. These things can be pretty disastrous. So I don't think you're going to need a heat source. I really don't. It, it, you know, some chickens do it better or handle it better than others. You probably know in your area what are the best ones to have. That's cold. Minus 20 to minus 30 is very cold. I mean, we, we get... We, we get that cold here in Indiana occasionally, but not very often. Uh, minus 20, definitely, but minus 30 is pretty cold. Um, but your chickens can handle it. I'm pretty sure your chickens can handle that all right if they don't have the moisture. So I wouldn't use supplemental heat sources. I think it's dangerous. And if you do go that route, uh, have something that's proper and set up right for them that they can't, uh, they can't burn down the coop, you know, or cause damage or get to wires or anything like that. Uh, just be careful with that. Uh, do your homework, find the safest way you can to do it. 
I put I probably wouldn't do it though. I want chickens that can that can handle that cold without the moisture. Like I said, you want to make it create a, as good of an environment for them as you can. But um, I think you're going to do fine. It sounds like you're going to insulate it well. You're going to put your ventilation in that you need. Uh, your chickens are going to be good, I think. So I'll uh, I'll put that that illustration in the show notes for you and the recommendations. I'll also recommend a book. You probably don't need it, but it's called The Backyard Homestead Book of Building Projects. It's 76 useful things you can build to create customized working space, uh, storage facilities, uh, and uh, make practical outdoor furniture. It's got a whole bunch of building projects in it, but one of those projects is chicken coops. So for those who are getting started with chicken coops or just wanting to build one, um, this book has some uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, building plans in it for just all kinds of homestead related uh, projects. So it's a good little book. I, I picked it up a while back and gives you some good ideas of things you want to build, but I'm a builder. I like building things and this just gives me more ideas. It's kind of like Pinterest and, uh, in paper form. So check out the backyard homestead book of building projects might give you some ideas on, on building a chicken coop and how to properly do it, but check those things out. Uh, Today on the Homestead Life segment, the segment where I share something that's better in my life because of homesteading, and that uh, better thing is new life on the homestead. No matter how many times it happens, it still amazes me. We had some rabbits born last weekend, and uh, you know, it's always a humbling thing to see animals born on the homestead, and then you raise them to full size, and then they uh, provide meals for you, and it will cause you to never look at your food the same. You'll have a deeper appreciation for the meat on your table. Uh, you'll recognize what it took to get it there, and uh, you'll just have an appreciation for it like you never had before. So I'm always thankful for new life on the homestead and what it means to our life, to our homestead, to have that. And it's something that's better in my life because of homesteading. It really is. It just gives you a deeper appreciation for all life. You know, I've, I've said this before, but... You know, there's a lot of people that don't think that you should ever, you know, kill and eat animals. And, and you know what, that's, everybody's, you know, has an opinion on that. And, and you live the life that you want to live. That's what I say. But let me tell you, I've met a lot of people that believe like that. And I think many of them, some of them definitely have less appreciation for animal life than I do. Because I know what it means to me and my family to have that meat on the table, because I've seen the process from beginning to end, it will build an appreciation in you that I don't think you can experience the other way by just avoiding it. You don't experience it as much as if you just accept it and do it and, and just embrace it and let it provide for you. And, um, and like I said, you will be thankful for that meal like you never were before when you see the entire process from beginning to end. So I, I, my life is definitely better because of that, because of that on the homestead. Um, if you want to submit a question for the podcast, you can send your questions to ask at smalltownhomestead.com, or you can call or text in your questions to our voicemail at 765-203-1949. And submit questions as often as you like, as many as you like. We'll take all we can get, and uh, many of them will end up on the podcast. I do want to say one thing about calling or texting in your questions. Uh, put your name in the text. If all I have is a phone number, it's I, I like to share who's uh, asking the question on the uh, on the podcast. So uh, a few people have sent questions in, but they don't tell me who they are. Uh, so uh, let me know your name, at least your first name, so I can uh, mention you on the podcast. 
Michael, I hope this uh, this helped you today and give you some ideas on setting that coop up and anybody else who might be wondering the same thing. This podcast is made possible by those who join our Homestead Forum membership community. You can learn more about the benefits of membership at thehomesteadforum.com or you can just go to smalltownhomestead.com and follow the links from there. And uh, I really appreciate uh, those who, uh, who join the forum. And, uh, you know, it ain't a charity. There's a lot going on in there. There's a lot of benefits. There's extra podcasts. There's live chats. There's videos. Uh, there's some courses I'm still working on. You know, I haven't finished up all the courses in there yet. It's kind of like prog- in-progress courses, but there's courses that are, there are quite a few videos in them. Uh, there's some PDFs. There's a forum you can be a part of, too, and get all the other great benefits. But you can jump on over there and check all that stuff out. The show notes for this episode can be found at smalltownhomestead.com slash 103. And I did want to tell you just a couple other things uh, about some things I've been working on lately. At the website, we're doing a uh, a couple new things at smalltownhomestead.com. And one of those things is for folks who have their own blogs and YouTube channels and things like that that are sharing their homesteads with. Um, If you are a content creator and uh, you want to get more traffic to your content, I have a thing that's up called the Modern Homesteading Weekly Link Share. And you can go in there and actually share your links. There's just a little button at the the bottom. You just click on add your link and it'll just ask you like three things. It asks you the... uh, the URL to your content, whether that be a YouTube video, whether that be an article at a website or anything like that. Um, you can share it right there and you put that in. Even if it's a podcast, if you're a podcaster and you want to share your podcast in there, that's fine. There's no competition here. I want to help you get con. I want to help you get visitors to your content. But anyway, it'll ask you for the URL. It'll ask you for the title. Usually it automatically populates that title after you put the URL in and then it'll ask your email. You punch in those three things and a link with a picture and a, uh, goes up into this page. Well, then I'll be sharing that page out on all my social media. I'll be sharing it out in a blog post and I'll be sharing it out to my email list each week. So uh, go share your links in there and we'll try to get more traffic to your content that you're working hard to produce. That's all about your homestead. So share that at the weekly link share page at the website. It'll see it up there in the top bar of the uh, website. You just go to smalltownhomestead.com and you'll see it in the menu bar there. So click on that and do that. Also for those folks who have homesteading websites, if you want to add a player to your site. Um, you can do that. You can actually add a modern homesteading podcast player to like the sidebar of your website. Real easy. I have it. You just go to the go to the podcast page at uh, smalltownhomestead.com. Scroll down there. It's close to the bottom, and you will see a player that you can copy the code for right there, and you can put that code in an HTML box, text box on your website, and it will put a player on your website where folks can stay on your site and browse around while they listen to the Modern Homesteading podcast. And there's just hours upon hours of listening there so they can stay on your site and listen to the podcast. So uh, do that. It gets me uh, more listens. It gives me a little bit more exposure, but it also provides something for your visitors to your site, uh, new on your site. So if you want to add that player to your site, uh, I'd be happy to uh, let you do that. And uh, like I said, it benefits both you and me. And uh, I think that it'd be a great addition to your website. So go check that out. And uh, I think uh, if you want to do that, or if you have any trouble with that, you can send me 
an email and I will help you get that installed on your site. So those are just a couple things for those. I know there's a lot of folks that listen to this podcast that have websites, that have homesteading YouTube channels and websites. I wanted to tell you about those things because I think that's a just a great addition. Also, if you want to leave a review for the podcast uh, on the podcast page at smalltownhomestead.com, uh, there is a down at the very bottom of the page. There's a section where you can leave a review. Now, those reviews are going on the podcast page. They're not going to iTunes. They're not going anywhere else. I'm, I'm, I'm always thrilled when I get iTunes reviews and reviews at other places. But I'd like to start getting some reviews at my actual uh, podcast page at the website. Uh, so if you want to leave a review, go there and leave a review as well. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for joining me today, folks. It really means a lot to me that you guys take your time to listen to this podcast and that you support it and that all the things you do and you share it with others. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. So thanks for joining me today. And until next time, happy homesteading and God bless. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow. Thank you.